Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And 
What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. It has been a long week for both me and Jacob, so we're pretty tired, so bear with us through this one. But, uh, Jacob, exactly how tired are you? Dude, on a level <laughs> 1 to 10, man, it's it's in the triple digits right now, dude. It's been an absolutely crazy week. Uh, just officially moved to Nashville, uh, Tennessee. Got my apartment everything set up there. Um, when was it? I guess it was Saturday. Uh, today's Sunday again. So today I was out trying to f- do some last-minute uh, shopping on some furniture that I don't have at the moment. Uh, so I'm literally – I'm off this week – so I'm literally doing trips for the next couple of days up to Nashville, taking some stuff up there that I have down here in uh, Alabaster. So, anyways, it's been extremely stressful lately, but uh, keeping me busy, man. But uh, other than that, man, uh, how, how have you been, and what have you been up to the last couple of days and this week? Uh, I've been tired is what I've been, but I've been running back and forth from Auburn to Birmingham a bunch, and... My mother just bought a new house, or they're about to close on a new house, so I'm about to be helping them with that a little bit <clears throat> over this coming week. Uh, but other than the you know, family obligations and work stuff, I have been doing a lot of planning for this upcoming season. So that that's going to kind of be the topic of this episode. So me and Jacob have both been looking at possibilities for hunts for this upcoming fall outside of our home territories, if you want to call it that. Uh, So just to kind of kick things off, Jacob, why don't you tell us a little bit about those buck beds you found in Ohio? Dude, so Ohio for deer looked absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Turkeys, pretty hit or miss. Uh, You know, had a little bit of luck, you know, couldn't close the deal, couldn't get the birds to come on my side of the property line. Uh, which is unfortunate, but uh, you know it is what it is. But man, I found one piece of uh, property up there that our buddy Jordan Barnes actually sent me a pin that he wanted me to check out for turkeys. You know, it had some birds on it, but man, it was covered up with some deer. Um, found a total of twelve beds on that piece of property, which is only twenty nine acres. Twenty nine acres on the side of this massive ridge, and it literally. You know, this is in southern Ohio. So southern Ohio is extremely mountainous, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. It was probably the most strenuous hunt we've been, or I've been on since Wyoming. I mean, it compared to Wyoming, a decent amount, just elevation change, how quickly it would change. Um, from my car to hike up to that spot on that public land uh, to get to the highest spot, I think on my phone it counted at 22 floors going up. Okay, so <clears throat> I mean, it was. I think I looked at it on the maps. It was almost a three hundred foot uh, change in elevation getting up there. There was a couple benches on the way up, but man, it was like you literally were looking at the bottom. You look up and you can't see the top, and you literally have to lean back to try to find the top. And what you think's the top is actually a bench, and it keeps going up from there. So it was unreal, man. I mean, you're climbing hills after hills after hills, or almost like you know mountains. But man, the deer that topography really had those deer kind of pinned down and really funneled them real tight along the side of that where uh, you could set really well. And found a bunch of beds, man. The first couple beds I found on top of uh, the very highest bench, just in some grass. I'm pretty sure it's just a couple of doe beds. Uh, 
you know, just sitting on some grass. I saw some depressions went down there and checked it out and for sure it had a bunch of hair, you know, matted down there. It was a real cool scenario, but kind of started working along the side of the ridge a little bit farther and started getting on some good deer trails. Uh, that was, you know, probably a couple, I don't know, 30, 40 yards from the property line. I was kind of working parallel to the line and uh, kind of came to a little thicket and kind of worked through that thicket, looked for some birds, come up on the other side. And right when I was coming to the bottom of this little thicket on the side of this ridge, uh, I kept smelling like that, you know, uh, that distinct smell of buck urine, okay? I mean, you know, if you smelled it before, you know, there's just real musky, just, I mean, it smells like a buck. And uh, I smelt that, and I was like, man, there's got to be a buck bed somewhere in here. And the vegetation, is kind of hard to describe. It almost looked like privet hedge, but it was different, a different leaf system. It was a totally different plant, but it looked like privet hedge. This with bigger leaves, where it would grow up, and there was no vegetation, probably chest level down to, to the ground. But from, like, above chest level to your head, it was thick, thick vegetation. So you had to, like, hunch over and kind of go through it all. Well, I was doing that and finally came up, popped out of it on this real hardcore trail. And literally right off this trail, a little bit off this trail, on the back of this log was this huge bed. Absolutely huge bed. Uh, I actually laid my gun down next to it, kind of measured my gun. I think it's 42, see, I think it's 38 to 40 inches long, my shotgun. And it was longer than that. You know, half moon shape, you know, and made sense as a perfect buck bed. And you could smell it. You could smell the buck urine up around the bed. And I actually went down to look at the bed. I actually put it on the, uh, the Instagram story. And there was so much hair matted down on one side of it specifically that literally it made like a bedding layer. Like it was unreal. But I literally picked some up and like put it to my nose and smelt it. And I was like, it smelled like buck urine. I literally dropped the hair and I could not get that smell off my hand for the rest of the day. Uh, so that deer has been using that extremely hard and it sets up perfectly for like a south southeast wind which would set up perfectly in that hill country coming off the top of the ridge dropping down to the bottom and he had a big bench below him about 150 feet that he could look down to and he had just a perfect advantage I mean multiple escape routes and he had multiple trails actually going towards that bed uh, which made perfect sense and he was a couple probably 100 yards from the property line and the guys that own that private property have two real big green fields up top uh, so it makes sense that he's working up there probably in the evenings and uh, throughout the night to go up there and feed. Uh, and I found more beds up and around there, but that was the predominant bed I found that was 100% for sure buck bed, big old tracks around it as well. I mean, just an absolutely awesome spot. That sounds awesome, man. <clears throat> I wish that I was there. <laughs> I've, I've never, ever seen a buck bed quite like that one that you found. One that, I mean, is literally worn down to the dirt. I think that term might be like kind of loosely used nowadays. Like, oh, it was worn down to the dirt when it was really just matted down. Yours was literally worn down to the dirt. There was no leaves left. Yeah, and that's one thing. I literally saw it from a distance. Uh, so I was walking up and I was walking on this trail. And again, I'm turkey hunting, but like, you know, I'm seeing all this stuff. I'm like, you know what? You know, let's try to find some cool spots to deer hunt. Because the license up here, when you buy your turkey license, it's also a big game license. So it allows you to deer hunt as well. <clears throat> and it's relatively cheap. It's like $167, I think. Uh, again, I might be off by a couple dollars. But I think it's $167 uh, for your big game license, which allows you to hunt deer as well. So I was like, you know what? Southern Ohio is not going to be that far from me, from, uh, you know, Nashville. It's about That spot was exactly like five hours away from me. So I'm like, that's a durable hunt to do on the weekend. And... Um, Anyways, you know, decent hotels around. They're pretty good hotels you can stay at. You know, you know, live, stay at a pretty nice place to be able to go out there and do some good hunting. 
but yeah, man, I, I saw that bed from a distance, and it was, I mean, seriously, it was worn down to the ground, and some of the other beds were not that I saw, uh, which, I mean, shows that that bed's been used very hard, uh, I mean, especially the last probably month or two, for sure. Uh, and it sets, again, it sets up perfectly. It was, you know, iconic buck bed. He had a log on his back, so when he laid there <clears throat> looking downhill, he had a log against his back, kind of give him a little back cover, break up his outline, also have, you know, a little bit of barrier behind him in case something walked behind him. Uh, but, I mean, it is set up an absolutely awesome spot. The only problem is it's such a good spot for him, it'd be almost impossible to hunt that bed and try to get in there effectively without either blowing him out or without being seen, whether you're hunting morning or afternoon sit. But that's something we'd have to look at the maps and see how we could access that without getting seen. But I think your best bet would be in there super early in the morning, early season, get in there, you know, either above his bed or almost level with his bed on the side of that ridge and literally get in there. I'm talking almost hour and a half before sunrise to get set up super quiet and hopefully catch him slipping back in like right at gray light or a little bit after gray light. Uh, I think that should be your best bet for that spot. But yeah, man, it was, it was absolutely unreal. Best, best bet I've ever found hands down. Yeah. sounds like something we need to get a camera on, but, uh, so, so it, it sounds like you're definitely planning on hunting Ohio this fall. Are there any other hunts that you're planning on doing? <clears throat> Uh, Georgia, for sure. Uh, so this, my season, this is how my season is going to look like. <clears throat> Since I moved to Tennessee, um, I'm going to wait to do my residency up there for a couple months. So I'm going to try to hunt both Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and Southern Ohio. Uh, I might leave out Kentucky for this year. That's something I might plan for next year just because of time, expenses, everything else. I mean, I think four states is plenty. Uh, I might try to get out to Arkansas a little bit too. Again, just depends on the situation. I mean, ideally what I would want to hunt is Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Ohio. But I'm not, I'm not going to have the time to be able to do all that, uh, at least not effectively. I might be able to do a weekend hunt, uh, and depending on pricing uh, for license, that might be worth it. Uh, but again, that's that's very much up in the air right now. But yeah, definitely wanted to do some different whitetail hunts this year. And you know, depending on you know time off and my PTO time, you know, a, a last minute Western hunt might be on the table. But I highly doubt that for right now. Yeah. Now, how about you, Andrew? I mean, what's your kind of game plan for this year, and what are you looking at doing? So this year, I, I've never really hunted out of state except for when we went to Wyoming back in October, which. Later on in the podcast, we're going to go over that story to kind of get people excited about the series that we're about to release. But uh, so we're uh, thinking about me and my friend Jordan, I mean, not Jordan, uh, George, are thinking about going bear hunting next, uh, this fall, basically. So we're going to go to North Georgia and bear hunt. He's got a pr- private property access into some that, that butts up to some really hard to access spots of national forest and north georgia so that kind of gives us a leg up i guess where we can get to some pretty off the beaten path places with relative ease so i'm going to be buying a georgia license so since i'm buying the license and everything i'm going to drop all the money for everything and i'm going to get uh the license that'll be good for bear which i can kill two bears so i'm going to try and go to georgia two or three times to try and fill a bear tag just because I really want to get a bear for some reason, man. I want to I want to have the bear meat, but also want to have the rug. And plus, I think that'd just be a cool, unique hunt. But uh, that's something we'll probably talk a lot more about on a later podcast. <clears throat> also going to hunt whitetails and turkeys in Georgia, of course. And uh, probably hogs as well. 
Um, other than that, I might maybe try and do Ohio this year with you. Uh, it just depends on scheduling and money and everything. But other than that, uh, I'm looking at getting a leftover cow elk tag in Wyoming to hunt in mid-December. So there's a couple units that have leftover tags that are still open in that time of year, which it'll be brutally cold and there'll probably be snow, but I'll get to be out there, so I'll be happy. But if the <laughs> if I can't get a leftover, then I'm probably going to try and do look at something. I, I was looking the other day, I think Arizona had a bear season that was still open then, so I might try and go do a bear in Arizona. Again, not... I mean, of course, I want to go get a bear, but really just to get out there and experience the landscape. And if that doesn't work, then I'll probably try and just go out there and hunt some kind of small game. Like, I just want to get out there, you know. I just want to experience that landscape in whatever way I can, whether it's chasing an elk or chasing a bear or chasing grouse or something. I don't know. But uh, that's pretty much what I got lined up for this fall. Oh, that's that's good. I kind of want you to go out to uh, Arizona and kind of like go to maybe some of these spots that are these regions that, you know, we kind of talked about doing a mule deer hunt in 2019. That's another thing, guys, that we're trying to look at doing for next season, or I guess you said two seasons from now, uh, 2019, to go out to um, Arizona and do a over-the-counter archery mule deer hunt slash whitetail slash coos deer or cows, however you want to say it. Uh, and also, you know, mix some javelina in along with quail. Um, it's a pretty awesome state for sure, guys. I mean, a lot of people don't think of Arizona, especially if you're living east of the Mississippi. And a lot of people don't think of Arizona at all for a, a wild game state. But I'm pretty sure that Arizona and – I know Arizona and uh, – what is it? Uh, Nevada, 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 however you want to say it, have two of the highest – other than Alaska, two of the highest percentage of public land uh, compared to private land in the whole country. And there is a lot of opportunity out there, guys, to do some really cool hunts uh, That's you know, some are kind of overlooked and kind of that's what we'll talk about a little bit later on in this series. And then, uh, you know, some of those hunts are once-in-a-lifetime hunts, like some of those elk hunts out there are unreal, or bighorn sheep, uh, desert bighorn sheep, uh, which is something that I've kind of got turned on the last couple of years, uh, mostly because of Andrew and some other individuals. Uh, so that's kind of something I'm kind of looking at maybe doing in the future. But uh, anyways, Andrew, but yeah, I mean, that's awesome, dude. You'd be able to go out there and, you know, Wyoming, I think a Wyoming over-the-counter elk, uh, cow elk tag would be awesome, dude, because that is uh, with a firearm. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. So uh, right now it's me and uh, my buddy Colton are probably going to be the ones going, and we're both poor and we don't have a lot of coolers. So we're talking about, like, just one of us, buying the tag but we split the cost so one of us will be the shooter and then we'll just split the meat and uh so i don't know how we'll decide that we'll probably flip a coin or or something like that but so right now it's just me and him but we might have some other people come we're not sure yet but we're definitely excited about that man because elk are just such a big animal and like i said in the last podcast we basically live off wild game here we we don't buy a whole lot of store-bought meat like i personally i buy no store-bought meat here um, so killing an elk, man, that would be humongous for me because it's just such a big animal, so much meat. Like, uh, honestly, I'd have to cut back on how many whitetails I shoot because I'd be full, really. Well, a funny thing, guys, about Andrew. Uh, so his apartment, so he's got two roommates, all great guys, and uh, they have, you know, standard, you know, fridge and refrigerator 
or freezer or freezer uh, in the apartment, but they also have a deep freeze, like a standalone deep freeze that is legit always full of wild game. Like it is unreal. So like they've got these set up, which you know it seems like you have the roommates to be able to kind of do that kind of thing. Uh, you know, fortunately, but yeah, I mean that's awesome. And y'all had that hog in there, a couple of whitetails and some. I mean, y'all had what rabbit, squirrel. I mean, did y'all have any fish in there at all this year? Yeah, yeah, I, I have some uh, redfish, Spanish mackerel, and uh, some other stuff I caught at the beach. And then uh, I've been catching a few catfish lately. We've been stuffing in there. But, yeah, man, just a whole bunch of wild game. A bunch of good, fr- well, kind of free meat, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you gotta buy, you know, it's more about not really buying your tags and everything because, I mean, that is an upfront cost. It's more about your time and effort and what it takes to get in there because I, I used to tell, you know, some people back in the day that, you know, Oh yeah, you know, hunting, you know, it's so much cheaper than buying, you know, meat at the store. Well, if you break it down, <laughs> break down the cost of your gear, fuel to go out there, your time, and also whether or not you're in a club or a lease or something like that, it's actually pretty expensive. I know, um, what is that comedian, uh, Jeff Foxworthy? He did a little stand-up thing about that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where where he he broke down that uh, wild game or tur- or wild or deer venison was the most expensive piece of meat in the world. I think he broke it down. And it was going to cost them one hundred and thirty-two dollars a pound. Uh, <laughs> once he broke down like how much money he had into invested in the, the truck, the lease, the four wheeler, fuel fertilizer you know stuff for his food plots i mean it, it's kind of true but i mean that's one reason we do is you know for the the enjoyment of it not necessarily for because it's necessarily cheap I mean, yeah. yeah there are cheaper ways to go about hunting but you know that's something maybe we'll talk about in this series how we can kind of you know do some of these really cool hunts on a budget and also on you know a tight time frame uh to kind of make you know the average guy be able to go out there and have these you know what some people think is once in a lifetime hunting opportunities where if you manage your time correctly and you know manage your money as well you could be able to do hunts like this you know every year or every other year uh, yeah. you know well i will but, say i will say that you got to also remember that you're paying for technically you're paying for your food acquisition and your recreation with the same dollars so killing two birds with one stone so you got to factor that in too but i don't know it's probably still expensive but uh yeah, we keep talking about this series, but we haven't really said what it is yet. So we're doing a four-part series, which next week will be the actual start of the series, where we're going to tell you, and we're going to have a guest on who's much smarter than us, how to make your dream hunt happen, how to attain these things. You know, growing up in the South, my dad always talked about wanting to go do an elk hunt, and all of his buddies were always talking about wanting to go out west and hunt. And they just assumed that it was this unattainable, super expensive thing that maybe they could do it one day if they could ever afford a guide or or whatever. But in reality, it's very attainable and very affordable to anybody, the average person. You know, me and Jacob, we're young guys. We do not have a lot of money. We don't have a ton of time either, and we made this hunt happen, and we both killed bucks on public land. So it, this stuff is more attainable than people think, and this message series that we're going to do about this is, is going to just kind of dive into how you pick what you want to go hunt, how to decide where to go hunt, how to make the hunt happen, just anything that you might need to know, I guess. Uh, and it's all going to be from an Easterner's perspective, someone who's not familiar with the place. So we're going to be talking to guys from basically east of the Mississippi, who have gone out and done these things, and we're going to get an overview of how they afforded it, how they made the time, 
how they scouted from home, and how they got out there and eventually you know, made it happen. So we're going to be covering mule deer, elk, white-tailed deer, and antelope. So it, we're pretty excited about this. And today we're just going to kind of give you an overview of how our mule deer hunt went in Wyoming because we've been alluding to it for months now but haven't really talked about it yet. Yeah, very true. I mean, again, with this series, it's going to give everyone a good idea of you know, not only logistics, but also time frames to make stuff happen and what to expect. I mean, that's the biggest thing. After we did this hunt, there's so much we kind of almost over-prepared for and some things we oh, didn't pa- prepare gosh. for enough. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit and kind of help people kind of shorten that learning curve. And that's one of the reasons we started this podcast, not only because myself, I'm a research fanatic and I like to learn more stuff. And that's one of the reasons I like this podcast because I get to talk to a lot of different guys and learn a lot of different aspects about hunting in general. But also to help people shorten their learning curves on stuff either that we've already made mistakes on and we've learned in the past or some of our guests have done and we can all learn. Uh, so that's one thing that's going to be huge, guys, because what me and Andrew did on this hunt, we could have saved, I could have saved some significant money, especially on food and I guess a little bit of travel as well, along with some gear uh that you know we might have been a little over prepared for, and then on some other aspects we might have been under prepared for. Oh, dear uh, God. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll kind of we'll, we'll, let's just kind of jump into that, Andrew, right now, and kind of just talk a little bit about our hunt. I mean, this is gonna be a fun episode, guys. Uh, to kind of y'all can laugh at us. I mean, there's yeah. some parts of this that is it's pretty funny uh, on both our aspects of everything, and you know, it's it's just, it's gonna be a good time, guys. It really gets you interested. Uh, in Western hunting, and that's really what we're trying to do is get guys like ourselves, Southerners, or it is p- east of the Mississippi, and guys not letting you, not leaving y'all out out in Louisiana and you know Texas and Arkansas and Kansas, all that kind of stuff. I know we got listeners out there as well, but you know mostly east of the Mississippi that you know wants to do these hunts. You know they always want to do an elk hunt. Well, man, you can do an elk hunt every year if you can plan your time around it. It's more about time than money. I mean, hands down, yeah. and everyone can admit to that. But you know, with all that being said, Andrew, just kind of jump into this episode and kind of. Let's break down on, you know, what even's got us started on wanting to do a Western hunt? Yeah. I mean, Andrew, what was your reasoning for wanting to go out west? So all this, dude, like all this got started with me watching outdoor television, uh, like mainly Randy Newberg, of course, got me really interested in it. But then I watched, I, I've always watched Steve Vernella, and I don't know what, what clicked, but I was working like a night shift at Home Depot one day, and it was right after the Meteor podcast started. And so I'm working this night shift on the freight team, and we're allowed to listen to music or whatever while we're working. So I turn on the Mediator podcast, and it was like the third episode I'd ever listened to. And they did a podcast talking about how to like go do a Western hunt. And I was like, oh, whatever, I don't care about this. Because I, I had zero interest for some reason. I just did not care. And so I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to listen to it to have noise while I'm putting these boxes up. So I start listening to it, and I get into it, and I'm like, oh my god, I really, really want to do this. And so then from there, it just snowballed, and that episode, two episodes of Meat Eater, the one where he uh, was in Idaho with Cal, and they killed that big, huge mule deer, and the one where he was hunting antelope in Wyoming, those two episodes like lit my fire, dude. I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I have to do this. So I plan to hunt with uh, my roommates, Colton and Grant. Uh, my current roommates, back then we weren't roommates yet, but we still knew each other. So we were going to go out there and do antelope uh, in Wyoming. And so we actually did a little research, figured out where we could easily draw tags, put in for doe tags because they're dirt cheap. They're like 40 bucks or something for a non-resident for a doe antelope. 
And so I was like, okay, I don't really care about killing a buck antelope. I just want to go out there. So we put in and we draw our tags. And long story short, uh, life got in the way and we just weren't able to go. So then I had a chip on my shoulder. And uh, so then I remember Mark Smith, who works at Field and Stream, uh, I was working with him one day. I used to work in that bow shop, and I was telling him about all this, and he's just like could not believe that we didn't go. And he's like, dude, you just have to buy the tag and say I'm doing it. If anybody wants to come with me, then that's okay. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And so long story short, man, we I meet Jacob, and we know each other. We hunt each other with each other for a couple months throughout the season, and then you know, end of deer season rolls around. I'm like, hey, uh, you ever been interested in doing a, a western hunt? And he said yes, and so the the ball got rolling. We did a little bit of research, finally settled on a mule deer in Wyoming again, uh, just because I'd already figured out that system and knew how it worked. And the tags were relatively cheap compared to Montana, so we decided on Wyoming. <laughs> and uh, Jacob, why don't why don't you go into the part where where we applied and we expected to get one unit but got the other one? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and kind of my background, guys, with Western hunting, similar to Andrew, you know, is mostly just from television, watching television, and for some reason, a couple of years ago, I really got turned on to mule deer hunting, just like the aspect of spot and stalk hunting, whether bow or with a rifle, and really try to get as close as possible, and it's a constant game of cat and mouse out there at West, and I, I really was interested in that, because I was tired of sitting in a tree stand, kind of like doing what everyone else does here in the South, you're sitting in a tree stand, sitting in a blind, wait for the deer. I want to be out there and be proactive and be able to see a lot of country and do hunts like that. And same thing, Randy Newberg, you know, kind of turned me on to it, but it was mostly just some other guys I just saw on YouTube. I mean, that's pretty much what I was doing. I was just kind of researching. I was like, man, that'd be kind of a cool hunt. Again, knew nothing about Western hunting. Didn't know anything about the gear, anything like that. I just saw a lot of guys and that had really expensive glass. You know, when we say glass, you know, binos, uh, binoculars, range finders, all that kind of stuff, spotting scope. And you know, it's really expensive gear. I'm like, man, I can't do that, man. They have way too much gear. You know, they're either going out there guided or they've been hunting out there so long they know where to go. And I'm like, man, this is that's kind of like unattainable. And you know, I talked to my one of my uncles about it, who you know kind of brought me into hunting. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'd like to go to an elk hunt. You know, he's been talking about that for like 10 years now because me and him have been talking about it for like 10 years. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'd like to do an elk hunt, but you know, I don't really know what to do. You know, sooner or later, I'll save money and get a guide or something. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. And, you know, I was looking at pricing for guides. And, you know, a guided elk hunt can run anywhere between eight to $20,000, depending on where you go and, you know, this what state you really go to and what guide you go with. Uh, and, you know, it's still not a guaranteed thing to go with a guide. And so I'm like, that is so much money to go out there just for that one experience. I'm like, there's got to be another way. Again, kind of met Andrew, hunted that fall. And then that spring, or that, I guess, late winter, you were talking to me, like, yeah, let's do a Western home. I'm like, dude, I'm down. And to be honest, when you first said that, I was like, yeah, let's do it. But I was like, I was still really on the fence. I was like, let's do it. And I'm like, you know, we probably won't draw or whatever. You know, it'll just be cool experiences to put in for it and this and that. And, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of break down the system, guys, for Wyoming at least. Uh, and, Andrew, you can add into this a little bit more before we talk about our units. Um, when, when you put in for Wyoming, uh, we'll talk Mule Deer right now, okay? You have to, it's a point system. Uh, it's kind of almost like a lottery, but it's kind of not. Uh, the more points you get, you get one point a year for every time you put in. You can only put in once a year for mule deer. That's it. Every year you put in, you build up a point if you don't get drawn. And the more points you have, the more high, highly likelihood of you getting drawn. Okay. Okay, wait. Well, I got to jump in right here. 
So, like, when, when you start looking at Western states, some states are bonus points and some states are preference points. Wyoming is a preference point state. So, let's say that there's there's 10 guys wanting to hunt this unit for mule deer. And uh, there's only three tags. The, the guys with the three highest numbers of points will get those tags before anybody else. Like, like you're in the front of the line if you have the most points basically so if if there's three tags available and the guys in front of you have four points uh like three guys in front of you have four points and you have three points you will not draw that tag they will get the tag before you basically i don't i don't know if i'm doing a good job of explaining that but it goes off of uh it's almost like seniority like whoever has the most amount of points automatically gets the tag bonus points uh it's more like a raffle, I guess. Like if you if you have uh, if you have three points, then your hat your name goes in the hat three times, and it's a random draw. So you can draw a tag. Like some guy might have seventeen points, and you might have one, and you could still draw the tag. We're in a preference point system. You will absolutely never draw that tag. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Way to confuse everybody, but I hope that made a little bit of sense for everybody. Which I'm sure later in this series, yeah, later in this series, we'll break that down even more to really help you understand that. Because when Andrew first explained that to me, I had no clue what he was talking about. I'm like, dude, what's this point thing? Like, that makes that's so stupid. Like, absolutely, that makes no sense. Like, why the heck can we not go out there and buy a tag? Like, this, anyways. So, kind of going into this, I was kind of confused in the whole situation, and we're like, okay, we're going to put in as a group, okay? We're not going to put in as individuals, we're going to put in as a group, so we either win together or we lose together, as in when we get drawn. And we put in for three different regions. Well, we put in for, which, Andrew, if you want to name them, we can, but I'll say no. we put in... Okay, so we put in for t- <laughs> we put in for we put in for one region, and how it works is you get three different choices, Okay. Well, your first choice, of course, is your number one choice, you know, second, third choice. Well, for the first choice, we put in a region that supposedly you did research on and said is a pretty hard region to draw. It's in grizzly bear country, and, you know, it's got pretty good, you know, history of having good deer. Keyword, okay? grizzly bear country. So, I, yeah, I would heard from several people on forums, which, and they're not wrong about this, that there's better, there's bigger bucks in that area typically. Like the, the deer are just generally bigger in that area and there's more deer, there's a higher density. Uh, it's really a good unit, except it is chopped freaking full of grizzly bears, which <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, okay. I didn't really expect it to affect like the draw odds that much. Cause on top of everything that I was told about this unit, people said, you know, this isn't a hard unit to draw, but it still takes two or three points typically. And even Go Hunt says that. I've been using Go Hunt a little bit, and even Go Hunt said that our draw odds were below seventy-five percent, but we still got it. So um, it's probably just an off year where not as many people put in for that specific tag because uh, of the harsh winter two years ago. So yeah, yeah. So we were just first in line because you know there wasn't that many people putting in, and nobody was burning points on that unit, so we got it with zero points. Yeah, and with that being said, guys, so when you put in for a unit like this, like if you want to quote-unquote cash in your points, okay? So you can build up your points throughout the year or throughout the years, and then when you really want to go on a hunt, you put, you know, you go into a unit and you get drawn, you pick the hunt. Well, once you get your pick or, you know, you pick your unit, whatever, you lose all your points. So you start over after you get drawn for that species. Well, we just had a bad winter the year before, and they had – Winters up there are totally different down here, guys. I mean, they're brutal. They have a lot of die-off, kill-off 
uh, a lot of the herds this has been on how bad the winter was and supposedly the mule deer population got hammered along with elk but mule deer got hammered up there uh, in that part of the country so a lot of people weren't going to want to you know spend points that year to be able to get drawn in you know your likelihood of seeing first of all a big buck was low second of all seeing a lot of deer was low so we drew with zero points and of course you know our second choice was really the one we really wanted to go to which yeah, was this was so for- stupid this was just <laughs> flawed don't do it so we wanted this region that that had the grizzlies in it we're like oh that's like the pinnacle that's a good that's the best one we could possibly even have a chance of drawing there's great bucks there and we weren't really expecting to draw it and it's like while we wanted to draw it because we knew there were more deer there we also kind of didn't want to draw it like we never even considered that we would draw this place so we put in our second and third choices were areas that made more sense for us there was no grizzly bears there it was our primary. Yeah, primary choice yeah. was the second and third choice. So we were backwards, and it came... I would say it came back to bite us in the butt, but we, oh, we man, came out the top. Oh, man, I wouldn't have had it any other way, though. I, I love the way... It, I'm glad we went where we went, but... uh, it, Yeah, so these second and third, we were really expecting it, to get those, but we were just kind of shooting for the stars, quote-unquote, with our other tag. <laughs> Dude... I will never forget, like in July or whenever it is that the results come out. You were doing, uh, you were traveling or you were at work or something like that, and you couldn't check the results. And so, yep, yep. dude, <laughs> so I got on there and I logged into the account and I looked at the results and it had the the letter of the region that we drew, and I was just like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> And I, oh yeah! I immediately texted you, and you were like upset. You were like, "Oh my god, we can't do this. We're gonna, we're gonna get eaten by a bear." <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second because that part is hilarious <laughs> in my opinion. Um, so, okay, yeah. So Andrew gets the results, and again, we were trying to outsmart the system. Guys, don't try to outsmart the system. You're gonna be an idiot. It's gonna make. I'm sorry. It's gonna make an ass out of you. Okay. <laughs> You're, 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 it's going to come back to bite you. Just play by the rules. You're going to get your tags sooner or later. Well, we tried to outsmart the system, and it came back to bite us again. But it was awesome. I mean, the experience was absolutely <laughs> awesome. But yeah. when when Andrew told me we drew this one region, I was legit like, dude, are you freaking serious? Not necessarily a good one. I'm like, oh, it's going to be cool. And again, Andrew, we drew this tag, and Andrew's like, oh, yeah, man, it's awesome. We're going to be hunting with grizzly bears. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, man, we're going to hunt with grizzly bears. I want to see grizzly bears so bad. And I'm over here like, Hell no, dude. I don't want to see a grizzly. I don't want to see a bear. I don't want to see a wolf. I don't want to see a mountain lion. I want to see a deer, and that is it. Maybe elk. That'd be cool. And dude's like, oh, no, dude, it's going to be awesome. We're hunting grizzly bear country. And anyways, I was over here legit for a couple weeks. I was like, man, I don't have a bear gun. I do not have a big enough pistol or a sidearm for this. So I'm shopping, man. I'm looking at revolvers. <laughs> like, at, I mean, Andrew, kind of talk about that. Because I remember you were like, oh, yeah, we'll just do bear spray. And all of a sudden, I just told you, like, yeah, bought my bear gun. And I'll know where to send you the photo of it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, so when we drew that, I was, re- I was really excited because I didn't expect to get it. So I was pumped that we got the tag. But at the same time, I was like also very fearful because I was like, what are we going to do? Because anybody you ever listen to about first-timers going out there, they're like, get, go to something easier. Like, don't go hunting grizzly country for your very first western hunt. So uh, we kind of screwed the pooch on that one. But I was like, I'm just going to buy bear spray. That's what everyone says to do. And I don't feel like toting a pistol. And I'll, I'll have a rifle too, which, I mean, you know, if... <laughs> if he's gonna eat me i guess he's gonna eat me but <laughs> but 
uh, Jacob was like not on board with the bear spray. And so then one day he just sends me a picture of his 10 millimeter. He's like, yep, we're covered. I was like, okay, cool. You carry a gun. I'll carry, I'll carry the spray and, uh, I'll run faster than you. (laughs) Yeah. So the gun, you know, I chose because of this, again, I'm thinking, you know, bear spray is good. And, you know, actually research shows that bear spray is more effective than pistols or sidearms or just firearms in general. But I'm like, if Andrew's going to have a bear spray, I'm going to have a sidearm. Like, I'm having a sidearm. And kind of a fun fact, guys, I'm a, I'm a little gun fanatic. Ask Andrew. I spend a lot of money on firearms. Pretty much my income goes towards food, rent, let's see, retirement, investments, and then firearms. That's pretty and, – and hunting. Hunting and firearms is, like, right there at fifth. So that's pretty much how my income goes and goes out, uh, which, you know, my firearms are parts of my investment as well. But – I'm a, I'm a little bit of a gun snob, not gonna lie, and did a lot of research, guys, on just different firearms, and I found out that most of, or I say not most, a high, um, a high amount of guides in Alaska were going from, you know, your 44 Magnum revolvers to a 10 millimeter uh, pistol, semi-automatic pistol uh, platform. Um, just because you're getting roughly 357 ballistics, I, I, I won't go into too many details, but you get roughly 357 Magnum ballistics or higher with that cartridge, but you get 15 plus one uh, rounds of capacity. So you have lots of firepower, really light frame gun, shoots really well that you have a lot of firepower with, and it's, again, super light, so it's easy to carry. Uh, so that's what a lot of guys switched with in Alaska. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to try 10 millimeter and it was, I'm not gonna lie. It was hard to find a 10 millimeter down here in Alabama, but I decided my Glock 20. Absolutely love that gun. Took it up to the range a ton, burned a lot of rounds through it and fun gun to shoot. And I decided to get me a chest holster, a chest rig, uh, from Keynide. Well, it's a Keynide holster from gun, let's see, gunfighters Inc., which, Little little plug for them, I guess. Awesome holster, guys. Uh, absolutely loved it. I actually turned a couple of listeners, a couple of our buddies, onto that holster. Uh, keeps it out of the way. Allows you to wear a backpack, or if you're packing in a tree stand, you can still have your pistol on your chest. Full retention. Great, great holster. But anyways, um, bought that holster, and that was my setup. I sent that to Andrew. Dropped, you know, decent amount of money on that setup. And I was like, hey, ready to go now. Like I felt a little more comfortable with it. Did a lot of training, practicing with it, and. Uh, Bought my bare, legit bear defense rounds for it, and that sucker was bad to the bone. But, uh, you know, that that was kind of one of my worries for real going to this area is, you know, we are going to be in grizzly country. Like, like no crap in grizzly country. Like, this isn't like, oh, these are like, oh, like your little teddy bears. No, these legit mall people. And actually where we went, where we go, there is roughly, I think they average out legit one mauling a year in this freaking region we're going to. Okay? Yeah, there was uh, actually... The week before we got there, there was two uh, attacks, but nobody got messed up. But there was two different attacks, uh, one of which they ended up having to kill the bear. Uh, I think a guy had an elk down, and he was trying to pack the elk out. A grizzly got Mm -hmm. on it. Um, I I can't remember how it went. I think they they killed that grizzly uh, because it charged them. And they went to go get a game warden, and... uh, and then they came back with the game warden so he could like investigate it. And there was another grizzly on the carcass. And so <laughs> this yeah. happens like a week before we get there. So I was like, oh, fantastic. And then two weeks after we left, somebody did get mauled. Uh, yeah. Again, a couple of elk hunters trying to get an elk out. I think they got caught after dark and a uh, mm-hmm. grizzly got after one of them. Luckily, everyone was okay. Yeah, guys. And, and, and no shit. I mean, again, grizzly bears are freaking huge. I mean, absolutely kind of a 
kind of skipping to the end real quick. The taxidermist we took my deer to, they had a grizzly that was killed in the same region that they had mounted. Uh, it was a problem bear that they were mounting for school. That thing was so stupid big. Like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, if that thing was coming at you, dude, they're, I, gun or not, dude, I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't know. My faith in a lot of things would go out the window right then and there on this firearm protection. I don't care if you're packing up. I mean, a 50 Beowulf, if anyone knows what that caliber is. And just, you know, it's a very high powered rifle. Dude, it is a freaking big animal coming down on you. I think the one they killed that was their mounting was like right around 750 pounds. I mean, just massive. So, so, I mean, that's, that's a legit issue up there, guys, is there is a lot of grizzlies in this area. And that's one reason why a lot of people don't go up there unguided, especially out of state hunters. So that was kind of something us going into it. We really had to look forward to that. And, uh, I actually thought about getting a little funny thing about firearms going up there. So me and Andrew both took on that hunt, uh, seven Remington seven uh, magnums or you know seven mag. You struggling um, a little bit. <laughs> seven. I mean, mag. yeah. Come on. So it, uh, it's, it's 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 been a long week, dude. But anyway, so we've been shooting seven mags, and um, you know both you know having my pistol on me and everything. Well, you know, kind of going to that situation, I almost legit thought about building. I just built an AR fifteen. Uh, probably like the month we got drawn, I just finished one of my ARs I just built. And uh, I, I literally thought about building an AR uh, pistol in 308 just to pack with us, dude. Like a little, like, you know, 15-inch, 18-inch gun that's chambered in 308 just to pack for, like, you know, you know, walking through dark timber and then walking, uh, or, you know, for a, a camp gun. But, again, didn't do that just because of weight. But, I mean, guys, it's, it's a real thing out there. I mean, you hunt some of these areas. I mean, first of all, you're super remote. I mean, you're going to be pretty far from help anyways. And then if you're getting trouble with bears, I mean, that's 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 a, that's a real issue. But also, it made it for a fun time. I mean, that would kind of be kind of dark and gloomy right there. But, dude, it's fun. I mean, the funny thing is, once we got there, I was almost more looking forward to seeing a bear. Because I was packing. I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't want to run into one and get mauled or anything. But if we see one, cool. And then, Andrew, you kind of turn the other way. You're like, oh, dude, I don't want to even see or hear a bear, man. Yeah, man, it's just, it's, your attitude changes when you get out there. Like, it's just, uh, it's like when you get out, out there and you realize that it's real, I'm like, man. I, did, I wouldn't mind seeing one from a distance, but what what got us is uh, on the second day when we were hiking up the mountain and we had to go through that creek bottom and there's grizzly mm-hmm. tracks all on the trail, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But, uh, so, um <clears throat> We're, let's talk about the drive. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk let's, real talk. Let's, real quick. Let's talk about gear lists and kind of the logistics of everything and how we went about packing and also uh, just kind of how we went about going through just the logistics to get up there. Uh, kind of break that down for people. Okay. Yeah. So we like roughly calculated, you know, how long it would take to get out there. And uh, from Birmingham, it's like 20, 27 hours. Yeah. It took us 30 to get there because we just. We drove pretty much nonstop, uh, slept at a truck stop somewhere in Nebraska for like two hours and then kept going. And the drive really wasn't hard, dude. I was actually, I was kind of scared about the drive. I'm like, man, it might take way long to get out there. We're losing hunting time. It's going to be hard to stay awake. Dude, we flew through that drive. We were having a blast. We were seeing deer everywhere in the Midwest. And then you hit Wyoming and there's just, there's so many antelope, man. It's like everywhere you look, there's antelope. They're like ants. (laughs) <laughs> it, to be honest, what antelope is like in Wyoming is kind of like what Canadian geese or like crows are down here. It's like yeah. you see a crap ton of them, man. I mean, they're everywhere, and it's I mean, it make for a fun hunt. But kind of go look, talk a little bit more about gear list, guys. Our gear list was simple, but I, I'm a gear junkie as well, and 
I spend more money on gear, I will say, than probably Andrew. I mean, Andrew, would you probably agree with that? Oh, <laughs> or, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I kind of went all out, you know, bought some like really, really nice pair of boots, which I'm not going to lie, guys, probably some of the most important gear if you can go out there and do a western hunt, whether it's guided, unguided, backpack hunting, or truck camping, or staying at a hotel, you've got to have good boots. I mean, hands down, Andrew, I guess you can kind of test this by like day three or four, mm-hmm. how your feet were. Yep. But I, I've spent some serious money on some boots. Uh, I bought some Loa uh, Tibet's, uh, Tibet's uh, GTX boots, and they are unbelievable. A really firm sole, made for packing a lot of weight, really good traction, really good support. And I legit did not, I don't think I got blisters the whole trip, dude. And we covered some serious vertical miles, dude. Yeah. I mean, going up and down. It was not no flat ground walking by no means. No, sir. Uh, so that was that was huge. But, I mean, the gear list, guys, I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, you got to have, if we were backpack hunting, we, we, were, we decided we were going to go and camp on the mountain and, you know, do that for a couple of days. So, you know, of course, we had a, had a high-quality tent. Both of us had pack frame backpacks, and we kind of went a little cheap on that uh, with the uh, do not, commanders. Do not cheap out on a backpack. That is as important as boots, in my opinion, because by the second and third day, man, I was I was seriously in pain packing that thing just because it's, it's hard on your back, dude. It's just not made to be comfortable. It's just made to, like, work, I guess. But, yeah. man, going back, I would have I would I don't care what I would have had to done I would have bought a nicer pack, but <laughs> yeah I just had to interject that get a nice pack man you will not regret it. Yeah so definitely you know boots in a pack are probably your two biggest assets for doing that. No matter what kind of western game hunting you're doing that's probably your two most important things. Um, and depending on what kind of hunt and what terrain you're going at you know you might be able to skimp on boots a little bit. You might not have to have four hundred dollar pair of boots if you're going on a antelope hunt in the plains i mean if you're hunting you know pretty flat ground you know you get away with a little easier boot on you uh, if you're hunting real nasty terrain kind of like where we were you're going to want to put some money on a really solid piece of boot that's really going to help you really stick to the ground first of all because we were hunting some places man if you fail dude you you were going to get messed up or you're dead i mean a couple different spots yeah uh so having really good traction and really good support was key but you know guys it's really simple i mean you got to have good to decent glass i mean buy the best pair of binos and spotting scope that you can do that you can afford for that hunt. Uh, I know we are running. I was I, I freaking absolutely hate my binos. I'm upgrading those for sure. But I was running a pair of uh, 12 by 50 uh, bush nails, which are decent. And then Andrew is running uh, 10 by 40 uh, vortex. No, they were eights. Uh, oh, they're eights. Yeah, man. So Andrew was by the way. Andrew was picking up deer at like a mile and a half or two miles with eight power binos yeah man so, on the la- man and the, uh, i gotta say the tripod i think the tripods because of that uh just because you can stay dead still and just and just watch you know and then it's way way easier to pick up that movement like on on the last day in the first few hours dude i think i spotted like 17 deer with mm-hmm. with mine i mean like just in the first few hours i mean it was just like one after another after another well, another thing, guys, depending on where you go and what kind of terrain you're hunting is what you're going to have to go with. If you're hunting thick timber like in Colorado on an elk hunt, you're not going to need really high-power binos or you're not going to need a spotting scope, or at least not a big spotting scope. Uh, we were running you know, a pretty good-sized spotting scope with us. Um, what, what's your spotting scope? A uh, uh, 20 by 60? Yes. Okay. These so, are both you know, Vortex Diamondbacks, by the way. Yeah, so decent, you know, decent glass for what you're getting for the money. I mean, it's hard to beat it. Uh, you know, running a tripod for that for both filming and then also for the for the uh, spotting scope and binos. 
to be honest, my okay, if you had to pick out some of your favorite pieces of gear, Andrew, like say like your five favorite pieces of gear, what would they be? Ooh, five favorite pieces of gear. That's tough. Uh, the number one would absolutely be my binos because, you know, you go out there to this wide open country and you'd think that you would want, you know, 10 buys or 12 buys or 15s. But really, sitting there with those eight buys, I was able to pick up deer from, you know, a very, very long ways off. And I could see whether or not, generally I could see whether or not it was a buck or a doe. I couldn't see what it was, but I could cover a ton of ground with those. And then, so number two would definitely be the spotting scope. Because I could pick it up with the eight buys and then throw that spotter on there and crank it up as high as I needed to get it. And I could identify what that animal was. And that worked really, really well for us throughout the whole trip. Um, yeah, man. For other pieces of gear, it's uh, pretty tough because, like, I, I wish I could say the pack. Pack was honestly a big disappointment. Uh, my boots actually did very well. The uh, man, what are they? They they're Irish setters. I think they're the Havoc, uh, like leather boot, nine inch leather boot. Uh, they're not very expensive. Uh, they're like average kind of run of the mill boot, like between a you know, hundred, two hundred bucks or whatever. Uh, great boot, uh, did pretty good all week. Uh, they weren't perfect, but they worked. Um, dang, what was the other thing I was gonna say? Uh, oh, oh, the Sitka uh, Fanatic hoodie. That's a whitetail mm-hmm. hoodie. That's in their whitetail line. But I was sporting that thing all week, and I stayed warm. I stayed active. You know, it kept me warm when I was glassing. If it got real cold, then I would just throw a big jacket on as a windbreaker. Cause man, it was windy, but. Uh, other than that, man, that fanatic hoodie was incredible. I couldn't have imagined doing that hunt with like my old system, where I would be wearing like three shirts and they'd be bulky and heavy, and I would sweat in them, and it wouldn't wick the moisture. So that fanatic hoodie, you know, we're running. It's like forty degrees outside, like thirty mile per hour winds, pretty much all day, and I'm wearing like uh, the Sitka core T-shirt and then the fanatic hoodie, and that's it. Like running around all day, and it it kept me warm kept me light, kept the moisture off my body, and I could not be more happy with that thing. Uh, man, what are some things you liked in your gear list? Well, see, that's key. Weight and staying lightweight is super key out there, and it's very important. We'll kind of go into that a little bit more, but for hands hands down, my favorite piece of gear out there, and a little shout-out to our, our buddies at Onyx, was Onyx. Dude, that was when I became a believer that because there is no way we could have done that hunt and killed those bucks that we were able to get without onyx because first of all we probably would have not been able to find that piece of property second of all just the whole situation up there is kind of some of it's checkerboard depending on the part of the state you're hunting in and just really knowing where you can hunt and where you can't so you don't get in trouble was absolutely huge plus you know having that topo overlay you could see ahead of you what's the best pass to go over this freaking mountain without killing yourself uh whether whether it's on the trail you're on or doing a side trail or whatever and that was absolutely huge Number two, hands down my pair of boots. Absolutely love those boots. Great support, you know, just the whole time, you know, didn't have a whole bunch of foot fatigue. I mean, really just helped me, you know, stay on my A game the whole week. Uh, number three, dude, trekking poles. Listen, oh, yeah. Randy Randy Newberg, our buddy Randy Newberg, stresses about trekking poles. A lot of guys, you know, trekking poles, like, oh, ski poles, whatever. Like, oh, that's stupid. That's for, like, you know, you know, you look like an idiot out there with trekking poles. Dude, they take so much weight off your shoulders. And, Andrew, I mean, you use them for a little bit. I mean, you can kind of attest to that. I didn't want to give them back. <laughs> yeah. 
when you're hiking around with a heavy pack, guys, these trekking poles really help you climb up and down hills and really help you keep your balance, too, when you're walking. And, again, a trekking pole, guys, is really for help uh, with balance, okay, and helping taking that weight off your shoulders and kind of helping you distribute your weight. Especially it helped a lot when you're crossing over limbs and logs or going over any kind of, like, uneven terrain. It was huge. Uh, also, you can also use them uh, to support your binos as, like, a monopod, and that helped out a ton with my spotting because the first couple times of the week, I was using just my binos and kind of like, you know, kind of sitting down, laying down and, you know, hunching over and kind of using my, uh, my elbows. Man, I can't even talk tonight, man. I'm worn out. But <laughs> have my elbows on my, on my chest and kind of just like look down and kind of like hold them right there. And, you know, you have a lot of movement in your binos. Well, I use that trekking pole, man, and adjust it down where I can sit up straight while I'm sitting down glass. And, and it worked out really well. Uh, so that was huge. Uh, so I guess that's three. Uh, to be honest, man, that pack... It, it was at times it, it kind of sucked especially that first two days was brutal because we're carrying like 60 pounds on our back but to be honest afterwards dude, it wasn't that bad and i liked it just because for the money you're getting for like a hundred bucks you're getting a pack that has a ton of storage in it first of all you have all your gear in there yeah it's a little it's pretty big it's pretty bulky it's not very appealing on that aspect for the money it's kind of hard to beat it i'm not gonna lie like for the money, for almost a hundred bucks or a little over a hundred bucks, that pack, the Alps Commander pack, I think, was worth it at that time. Definitely, we'll be going with a Mystery Ranch or XO or something like that on our next hunt and dropping some more money on it. But for that hunt, it was doable. Um, and then probably my fifth uh, piece of equipment would probably have to be, man, I'll, I'll tell you what, man, those Nature Valley protein bars with the bomb, dude. I don't oh, know about you. Oh my gosh, <laughs> dude. Dude, I, we were eating those by, by the freaking just a handful, man. That, I'm not going to lie. That's probably my fifth and favorite piece of gear. It was chocolate, peanut butter, protein bars. The mega protein bars, like 15 grams of protein per pack. Uh, Nature Valley. Man, those were delicious up on the mountain. Boy, oh, and that those, was... Those, uh, those spark things you brought, those were good. Uh, yeah, those Avocare sparks, man. Yeah, that's how we kept our energy up throughout the day, man. It was Those were awesome as well. And gave you a little extra flavoring in your water. Uh, I mean, another little side note, you know, I loved my, I had a three liter, uh, hydration bladder, which was huge. I mean, just huge on the aspect, not how big it was, but also how much it helped be able to pack a lot of water on me and, uh, be able to distribute that weight. But you know, now we kind of went over our gear list and everything. We talked a little bit about the drive up, you know, funny story guys on the drive up, we go through this tiny freaking town and I'm driving. Okay. Oh my gosh. And- yeah. Uh, so he took Andrew's truck and we come through this little tiny town, man, in somewhere in Gunna uh, see, Eastern. Gunnison yeah, Eastern Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah, it'd be hilarious if that police officer was listening right now. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, officer, I forgot your name, but yeah, he was a funny guy. But anyways, we came through this tiny little town, no stoplights, no stop sign, no nothing. Tiny town, okay? And it went from being like 55 miles an hour to like 35 miles an hour, and I swear there was absolutely not a sign that said it went down to 35. <laughs> well, I'm going through this town doing about 50, 55, and this cop pulls out on the other side, and he Wins behind us, and you know, of course, he pulls us over and pulls us over, walks us to the window. You know, this whole thing like and he sees that we had a license plate from Alabama. They're like, Oh, you're from Alabama, like, you know, why are you up here? And we like, told him, You know, we're up here hunting, and he thought it was crazy that we drove what 1700 miles to go up here and hunt, you know, mule deer. He's like, Don't y'all have mule deer back home? And we're like, No, not really. We have whitetails, totally different. Uh, but, anyways, and of course, he gives me a ticket and everything, comes back and he hands me the ticket. And he's like, All right, well, here's your ticket. You know, call over the phone, you know, the whole, you know, the whole shenanigans. Well, I look at the I look at the ticket and how much it is. I look at Andrew and I'm like, dude, this is 
I'm like, I've never had a speeding ticket. I'm a, I'm a pretty good driver, guys. At least I like to think so. Never had a speeding ticket. Never had any speeding violations or anything. Well, it's 90 bucks. And I'm like, speeding tickets back home, man, are like $250, man, if you're doing 15 over. I mean, they're expensive. And I show Andrew. Andrew's like, man, that's cheap. And I swear to God, dude, by the time you said I was about to hit you, dude, I'm like, dude, <laughs> shut up. Because the officer's still standing right there next to us. I'm like, I appreciate it, officer. You have a great day. And we drove <laughs> off, dude. I'm like, I've never been so happy to get a ticket in my entire life, dude. Because I thought that was about to be like two or three hundred dollars, like legit. I was like, man, I gotta expense that too. That's gonna be a piece of, you know, that's gonna be a piece of work. But uh, yeah, man, shout out, man. They have cheap speeding tickets, at least in that town. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess man. the officer was. Officer was just trying to make his uh, quota for the month. But uh, anyways, guys, so, you know, that's kind of a funny story. Uh, you know, the drive really wasn't that bad. Again, we got out there. But, you know, Andrew, let's kind of talk about our, our idea. So we left at 6 a.m., roughly, I think. Left yeah. my house at 6 a.m. <clears throat> right at daylight. And we were t- yeah, so we were taking Andrew's truck. He's got an F-150 pickup, uh, single cab, and we have, I have a 6x4 enclosed trailer that we had all of our gear packed into it. Kept it dry, weather you know, weatherproof, you know, don't have to worry about getting rained on or stolen, had it locked up, everything. Alright guys, and you know, with the trailer, it helped out a ton. Again, just keeping our stuff dry and clean. But we got up there and the very first thing we did, I see what time did we get up there? Like late that evening, uh but two a day and a half later, right? Yeah, so we left early in the morning. We got there basically exactly thirty hours later, uh, and so it was. Uh, oh, it was it was it was I it was like late morning. It, remember, we got there around like eleven o'clock, and we wanted to go scout. Remember, and that's when we had the whole the get ga- oh, the gasoline yeah, issue. Yeah. Remember? Oh, dude. Okay, God, so, so let, let's oh, let's rant about yeah. that for a second. So <laughs> another thing, guys, when you're going out there. You throw gas mileage out the freaking window, okay? But you get gas mileage here in your truck or whatever the heck you drive, cut it in half when you go out there to Wyoming because you're going up and down these giant mountains, okay, when you're driving? No, dude, it's because we had a trailer. Okay, and a trailer <laughs> and the air is thinner, so your, your intake struggles just a touch. Um, so, you know, you, you get worse gas mileage when you're going out there. But uh, we get into town, get everything situated. We actually stayed at a, a hotel that first night, uh... All right, and, you know, that evening after we get that hotel or that, you know, afternoon, we decided to go check out another area, kind of as a backup, that kind of gives us an idea of what we're going to get ourselves into. Um, it was a lot lower elevation than what we were going to be hiking into, but at least we had an idea of what, where the animals were at. And uh, we actually found out there was one area of it we could actually hunt that day because our region where we were going, we were actually going to be there for opening day, and we got there a day early, uh, which was nice. So we drove back there, and... Uh, took the trailer and everything with us and you know I guess we went out there dude with like a little over a quarter of a tank okay yeah. by the way by like, the way just to clarify on something these regions in Wyoming are made up of like a handful of units and every unit might have different dates so the particular unit that we were planning on backpacking and camping in opened on like the 16th and we got there on the 15th but there was uh, two units north of that that were already open that were within our region so our tag was good for those units as well so we went up there just to get a feel for the landscape and also if we saw a big buck we were going to shoot it but uh yeah you, you take very it. much so yeah <laughs> well so so we drive up there and it is in some nasty terrain guys i'm talking like I, i've never driven a road like that in my entire life dude i'm talking you're climbing up a mountain in this car for i mean dude i mean an eight, hour eight 
I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it was constant climbing. But, like, you keep going over these ridges. And you go over one ridge and you go down. And go over another ridge. It keeps getting higher and higher. I mean, they were, like, 10, 15-minute climbs up each one. And we're like, oh, you know, this, this you know, unit we're going to go to, it's not that far from us. Like, it's only, like, you know, we thought, what, it was, like, 30 miles. And it literally took us, like, an hour and a half to get there, okay? Oh, yeah. It's abs- absolutely brutal. Well, we get almost... I'll probably say halfway there, I'm like, dude, we're going to run out of gas, or we're going to need gas, like, soon, and we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, no gas, we've only seen a couple cars, we've seen a couple mule, that's it. And I'm like, dude, we're going to have to get some gas, and where we're going to, we're like, I don't know if there's gas where we're going. It was like this tiny little community in the freaking middle of nowhere on the backside of this mountain, and, uh, I mean, we got worried, dude, and I mean, it literally got down to, like, we were touching E, and we were still going up over these ridges. I'm, like, putting a neutral coasting down. I mean, I'm literally thinking, like, we're about to get stranded out here. It's going to get cold as heck tonight, and we're going to lose at least one day of hunting because we're going to have to try to find, find some gas. And, uh, you know, thankfully, we were able to coast down to town and find uh, a, a gas station down a little there. little outpost. We were, yeah, and we were legit on E, okay, getting there. And that was, like, some of the most expensive gas I've ever scene yeah it was almost like, four bucks a gallon i was like whatever lady i'll take it <laughs> yeah it, it was like it was like 389 and all the other gas in town was like at 260 okay so i was like whatever you know let's put you know 15 bucks of gas in this bad boy 20 bucks of gas and let's get back to town but anyways we hunted out there at that little outpost and kind of hiked in and it was just absolutely brutal winds i mean we hiked in we didn't hike in very far um Kind of get up on this big ridge, windswept ridge. They had a, uh, I guess they did they run a fire through it or was it cut? Uh, no, it was a, it was a, a. They don't really burn out there on that land. They have like legit wildfires, and so there's a huge wildfire that ripped through this area. And our plan for that night was really just to kind of get an idea of what we were getting into. Which man, when we got out and started hiking, it got real. We were like, oh man, this is this is gonna be. That's when I realized how difficult it was gonna be. But our plan was to get up on this big high knob coming off the side of this mountain, and we were going to glass basically down the side of the mountain towards uh, parts of the public land that was like behind all these, uh, uh, like uh, what I guess it was alfalfa fields maybe. And there's yeah, like a yeah. huge drainage that emptied right down into these alfalfa fields, which are private, but right off the back side was public. So we're like, well, let's just glass that that big creek drainage and maybe we'll see a deer and i think we saw a couple like way way out there uh yeah but nothing i mean we couldn't even really tell what they were they were so far away but that's when we realized how brutal it was going to be because hiking up that hill in the snow and how steep it was and like how thin the air was and then we get up there and dude that wind was brutal i mean just yeah 30 mile per hours, easy, sustained wind. Not gusts, but like a sustained 30 mile per hour wind. It was crazy. Yeah, that, I mean, it's crazy when you put a tripod up with a spotting scope and it's literally blowing the tripod over. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it was unreal. I'm like, we got there, dude. I'm like, this is going to suck, man, because we're going to have to get up like <laughs> like 2,000 feet more in elevation, or maybe 1,000 foot higher in elevation it's from that thousand. spot. And uh, I mean, it's going to be absolutely brutal. Another thing, guys, before we got there, the week before we got there, uh, it was one of the elk seasons. I guess I don't know if it was a general elk uh, rifle te- uh, season or what, but they had almost like two feet of snow dropped on them like the week before we got there. Which and is actually of, good. That was actually good for us. Yeah, because it pushed it helped, you know pushed a lot of that deer down from the higher elevation. But like it was just crazy because there was still snow there when we got there, especially on the north side of some of these 
mountains and ridges. Uh, so we had to deal with that the whole week. But, you know, that day, you know, we drive, finally drive back and get back to the hotel, chill out. And I, I don't know, I forgot what we had for dinner, like pizza or something. Yeah, we ordered some already. pizza. <laughs> and um, that would have been a funny night to record a podcast. But, you know, after that, we decided we were going to wake up, you know, that next morning and not get out there too early. We want to get out there, you know, way after sunrise just to kind of get an idea of what we were walking into. Because we had been scouting this, guys. We didn't just pick some units and it's like, oh, let's just wait until we draw and see what we're doing. We legit scouted ever since we picked the units and we knew what we got drawn. We literally sat down a couple times a week probably to like this scout like on on Onyx, on Google Earth, on every kind of online uh, aerial mapping system there is to offer. We looked at it just to get an idea of what this place was looked like. And it was completely different than everything else we were seeing. It was like oh. it was like we never even looked at a map, dude. <laughs> a- absolutely. We pulled up, dude. And I remember the night before we drove out to that trailhead because we didn't know if we can even get to this one trailhead, uh, which was higher up on the mountain than where we thought we were going to have to start at. And we get up there. And, yeah, like, oh, it's public land access. Cool, cool, cool. And you're like, whatever. We went back the next morning. And I'm like, dude, this is not what we thought we were getting ourselves into. Like, you started out like what well, I'm going to call almost like the high desert. Like you're starting out like the sage grass, like uh, flats, and you had to climb up to tree line and then go up over tree line. And I'm like, we're looking at this and get out of the truck and we're packing up, get all of our stuff together. I'm looking up this freaking mountain, dude. I'm like, this is going to suck. The thing is, we only had a two and a half mile hike going into like where we were going to camp that evening, and we started hiking in at like I think like nine thirty or ten o'clock, and. What did it take us? Like six hours to get there? Dude, no. Well, I mean, we started hiking at 9.30. We got there with roughly two hours of daylight left. Yeah. I mean, we got there. It was like 3.30 or 4, I think. And we literally had to go from... We started out at like 6,200 feet of elevation. Or right at 6,000. Yeah, and we went up to 8. And, or 8. I thought it was 8.82. Something right there. Like something around eight, a little over 8,000, I think. And uh, it was brutal. That was... You know, two and, a half, two and a half miles, I mean, we're used to hiking, you know, farther than that down here, but man, dude, that elevation change, first of all, you know, the air being a little bit thinner, uh, you know, also with us having packed 60 plus pounds on us, we packed, first of all, guys, we packed way too much food. You do not need that much food when you're hunting out there, like, all honesty. Like, I had enough food that like, we were going to be eating good, like, freaking kings, and that was not necessarily at all, okay? No, uh, no, no. Actually, I mean, when, we had too much food. I was like, when we get up to camp, I'm eating all of this food so I don't have to carry it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, that was rough. But going up going up this trail, we're actually hiking up a, a, a horse trail. And the funny thing is, we get up there and we get up to tree line and stuff. And we start looking around. We start seeing, I know we jumped a couple of, jumped a couple of does, uh, mule deer does up on the trail. And we start getting into actually like timber. Which we and did not want to be in at all. Yeah. And that's, again, kind of like grizzlies. You know, from everyone we talked to up there, you know, you're like you find grizzlies around any kind of stream or water access. That's, uh, and it, I got I got to jump in right here, actually. I, I told you this. I don't know if you remember this, but, I, like, I was reading on all these forums about this particular place. And so I was getting on hiking forums because there's hiking trails in this place. And there's, you know, a big 11,000-foot peak right there so that obviously that attracts people from the hiking community. So I'm like... Well, maybe they've posted pictures of the area. They've talked about it so I can get an idea of what it looks like. And there was people talking about that particular creek that we were walking, and they were like, oh, man, don't go walk down so-and-so creek. You might as well carry a tombstone with you. There's so many grizzlies. So I was like, okay, we're not going to walk on that creek. 
And that's exactly what we ended up doing was walking on that creek. <laughs> exactly. So jumping back in, we get up to Timber and we start coming around some corners, man. I'm like, dude, like hand on the pistol. Like we have rifles strapped to our strapped to our packs. Like you don't want to carry that with you. So actually trekking poles in hand, pistol on the chest for me. Andrew had bear spray out and everything. And you're just walking around. I mean, dude, you're coming around these corners in this dark timber, dude. And it, I mean, it is It's pretty thick. sketchy, dude. It's thick in it, there. It, it's thick because, like, all you can see is a trail, and maybe t- at some places you can see maybe 40 or 50 yards. But most of the time, it's only, like, 20 yards, 10 to 20 yards at the most you can see into the timber. And uh, when we got down to that that main creek crossing, or I know we had to cross the creek a couple times. Uh, big shout-out to my boots, though. Those lace-up boots are waterproof. And I had gators. Oh, that's another thing I was going to say. Gear thing. Those uh, waterproof uh, gators I had, or is that what they're called? Yeah. Things that slip over your boots? Yeah, they're gators. Anyways, I had a pair of those guys, which, again, if you're from the South, you don't know what that is, but it's like, like a, uh, I guess how you describe it. It literally attaches to the bottom of your boot, goes up to normally about knee high, and it's like uh, material-like, whatever, it either zips up, Velcros, whatever, and a good pair of them are waterproof, and I wore those. I could legit, when my boots are waterproof, I could cross creeks up the knee deep without having any leakage at all. It was awesome. Yeah. But um, we did a couple of these creek crossings, and man, you get in these creeks, dude. First of all, we started seeing elk sign. Started seeing big rubs, like taller like, than Andrew me. Talk, yeah, like, like eight, nine feet up on a tree, dude. Just where they shredded a, like these little saplings. It was awesome. But I'm like looking down there. I'm like, dude, this is exactly where, where a, a grizzly's gonna be. Like thick saplings down here on these creeks, man. I mean, just chilling out. Cause I mean, you know, when you're hiking, dude, you're getting kind of hot. Uh, you know, it's probably in the mid 40s, but you're sweating, so you're pretty much down in that t-shirt. And I'm like, dude, this, this is where we're gonna find grizzlies down in these freaking thick creek bottoms. And we had to cross a couple of those, man. I'm talking hair standing on the edge. And, you know, we're trying to make some noise, guys. But that's the problem is when you're hunting because, you know, there's a chance of finding a, a buck in this area. It's like you want to make noise to scare the bears away and, you know, make your presence known. But you also are hunting, too. So it's like that problem. You're stuck in the middle and, like, you don't know if you want to make noise and scare away the deer, scare away everything, or hope you scare away everything. Yeah. Or you want to be kind of quiet and then risk walking up on a freaking sow grizzly with cubs yeah man. Uh, and that and coming up on the one of those creek crossings you're talking about where it's like a little i, I guess it might be willow little sapling thickets i mean mm-hmm. you you read like the old mountain man journals and that's that's where a lot of folks got mauled back in the day when uh like you know there's old free trappers out there and everything back in the big fur boom days in the early 1800s you know that you know you watch the revenant and you you think like you know this dark boreal forest thing, but in reality, a lot of times it was on the Great Plains and these river bottoms because that's where the bears traveled. And there was grizzlies all throughout the plains; they just lived near the water. And so that's all I could think about walking up on that little willow thicket was just like, you know, I was reading some journal. I forgot whose journal it was, but it was some mountain man, and one of his buddies or whatever went down to the creek to go get some water and maybe prepare some kind of food. And a grizzly came out of that willow thicket and killed him. I mean, just right there in the middle of the, you know, not not a place where you would expect to find a grizzly by today's standards. But, man, we were getting nervous walking through here. We are like, hadn't seen any grizzly tracks yet, hadn't really seen any grizzly sign, but it, it was a place where you should be seeing sign. And I, I can't remember, we rounded a corner and I yep, said okay. something. I said something yep. to you about like we haven't seen a track yet. And I turned around and bam, <laughs> there it okay. was. Okay, 
So we crossed, yeah, so what we did, we crossed a, one of the last creek crossings, some pretty major creek crossing. Started climbing up the ridge, and that's when you found that, that leg of a deer. Remember that was just laying there? We found like the, the track oh, before the leg. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Like 30 and yards we getting, before the leg. <laughs> and literally, like, the trail split, and we were going up that split, and it started getting to the thicker timber, and you're like, yeah, like, yeah we haven't seen grizzly tracks yet. Like, oh, we're good. And we, not going to lie, I kind of got a little more uh, complacent with it. Um, and I guess, you know, really didn't weren't stress that much. Yeah. And started uh, getting confident. Yeah. And just weren't really worried. And then also, yeah, you turn around like, Oh my God, I look down dude, and that's a freak dude, a freaking man of a bear track. I'm like, dude, and, I, and there's a I, cub track I, too. Yeah. And that was, that's when stuff got kind of sketchy. Now the thing was we were walking in and there was horse tracks on this trail. I mean, it was a, you know, pretty highly used trail. At least it looked like. Uh, and the bear tracks were literally walking up the trail as we were going, following these horses. And I'm like, dude, that's uh, that's kind of interesting to see that. So, you know, the bear's taking, you know, the path of least resistance, you know, as we were. And I'm like, dude, this is how you're going to run up on a bear is through this thick timber, come around a corner, and it's going to be walking up or down the trail right towards you or away from you. Uh, so that, that made it for very interesting. I'm not going to lie, dude, just talking about it right now, got me kind of got my blood pressure going back up, kind of like back in the day, just kind of thinking about that whole situation, because, I mean, it was sketchy, man. I'm yeah. not going to lie. It was absolutely sketchy. But the thing is, guys, you don't need to be – if you hunt in the air like that, you do need to be unaware. But it, it makes the adventure, like, all honesty, to be able to say, I was in grizzly country. I literally hunted in an area where there are grizzlies. I slept on the mountain in grizzly country. Exactly. I mean, that is – it's not many people can say that, at least especially in our region. Like, I don't know a single person, dude, that lives anywhere east of the Mississippi that I personally know that – has ever done that, uh, which is a pretty cool thing, guys. But you know, you know, kind of long story short, we finally get through all that timber and uh, cross some stuff that I mean, dude, I mean, looked very berry like. Uh, well, you know, well had in that a- little stretch where we found the track, there's like a big track in that snowdrift, and there's a cub track next to it. You walk five more yards, and there's berry bushes lining the hiking trail, and you walk twenty more yards, and there's just a deer leg laying there, just a leg. Just laying there with grizz tracks next to it going up the trail, like you said. So we're like a little unnerved at that point. And I think right after that is actually when we decided uh, to bail off the trail. Cause, yep, yep. Yeah, because we wanted to walk the open hillside rather than follow this little vein of timber, which is where the hiking trail was. We're like, we'll just hop on that hillside and walk that open hillside up just to for a little better peace of mind, I guess, really. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that was a very stressful part of that hike was just like, man, we get all this weight on us. And the thing is, when you're packing a big heavy pack like this, like we were, and you don't pack it correctly, and you have too much of the heavy weight up high in your pack, like mine was, and I was kind of hunched over, my reaction time was going to be slow, even with a pistol, whatever. So I definitely wanted us to get somewhere that was more open where we could see what we were walking into and you know, have a better distance and not have to have a, you know, still have a fast reaction time, but not have to be, you know, have something on top of you and literally half a second. I mean, in that thick timber, dude, you were not going to see anything until it was on top of you. Uh, so, yeah, went up there on that little hillside, took a little break, you know, took some cool photos, glass, uh, that one mountain um, across the, the creek drainage from us. And then, you know, pretty much made the rest of the hike up. I mean, it was brutal, dude. That last 400 feet of elevation that we had to climb up. which the hardest. And it was li- it was literally like hands and knees crawling, almost crawling up a freaking mountain, dude. Because how tired we were, guys. I mean, we were absolutely worn out. I mean, your lungs are on fire. Your legs by this time are 
gone. I mean, absolutely jelly. And the thing is, I worked out personally pretty hard before this trip. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was what my workout regimen was was first I had to break in my boots. I had to cover fifty miles in my boots, which I got them a couple weeks before we left. So I had to cover fifty miles in a couple weeks on my boots. So I did that every day, walking in them, and then also I did a stairmaster with thirty to sixty pounds of weights, uh, either in a backpack or just carried weights on a stairmaster, uh, which was absolutely brutal. Which I think helped, but man, it does not do. It's not the same when you get out there, especially with that the thinner elevation, hair. Man, you can't. We, yeah, but I I did workouts too, and I went out and did a lot of weighted hikes and ran and everything. It's just nothing. I I did nothing to prepare for that elevation, and I don't know if there's anything you really can do for a guy who lives at you know 200 feet going up to 8,000. I don't I don't know if you can really prepare for that, but man, it was brutal crawling up that hill. But you know, I mean, it was fun too. I mean, it, it wasn't like all complete misery because when we got up there and some and we crested over that ridge, man, it was just like oh my god. Because it wasn't, yeah. it, it wasn't designated wilderness. You know, a lot of times when you hear the term backcountry, you think of wilderness. Well, backcountry kind of refers to basically what you can't see from the road. And this was, you know, over the mountain. This is what you can't see unless you climbed up over the top of the mountain. So it's, quote unquote, backcountry. So we crested over that man and seeing this area that we've looked at so many hours over all these months and just like taking it all in and we were there for five minutes and we looked down below where our campsite was going to be and boom there's like eight does down there and we're like okay this was worth it this is going to be awesome yeah so were we being the idiots we were at that time oh man and again again you kind of learn guys and that that's why we're kind of doing this to help people out you know you want to camp somewhere where you're protected from the elements you don't want to camp out in the freaking open okay like Screw bears, all that. You want to camp somewhere that you are protected from the elements, especially wind, rain, snow, okay? The three major ones. And that one was all about wind. Well, we decided we didn't want to drop back down 500 feet in the elevation because we topped this ridge of a mountain, and literally everything else was downhill from us. Like, there was no side hill, and you had to go back downhill to go over a couple other giant ridges, okay? And, again, being the idiots we are, scouting... Uh, we all we thought that these places were closer together, even though we had mapped it out. We thought these ridges were closer together than what they really were. And, I mean, to be honest, they kind of were. But the elevation change to get from one ridge to the other was so insane, okay? Yeah. Because we, th- we thought we could glass from this one ridge and look at this other ridge and do this kind of stuff. And, yes, you could, but you're not taking a shot out there. I mean, I was practicing shooting at 400 yards just for this hunt because the – likelihood of you getting a deer within 200 yards you know is pretty hit or miss i mean that that was gonna be kind of tough i mean even if you were practicing shooting at extended ranges past that dude you would still have to go down drop down a ridge to be able to shoot up the next ridge just because how far these places were it was unbelievable but we getting back to the camp camping spot and how we made a big mistake was we camped like on the side of the saddle like right below uh, I, don't, I don't know if you'd call that a little bench dude, that we were in. It was like a little yeah, low-lying spot. Well, it was a little bench on the backside of a saddle, okay? And we're like, okay, this this bench is going to kind of keep us protected. The wind was coming out of the saddle. There's a few trees and right there to break yeah, the wind. Yeah, so like, you know, we should be fine, okay? Um, you know, we're on the facing the north side of the ridge. The wind's coming from the south. The bench is on the north side of the ridge. Well, 
we get the tent set up and everything. And at this time, you know, everything's kind of muddy because the north side of the ridge had a bunch of snow on it. And literally, the second you dropped off that bench, it was like knee-high snow. I mean, it yeah. was deep. And we set up our tent and everything. And I kind of, you know, going back to packing your gear list, I'll tell you another important gear that, you know, Andrew did not pack nope. that he should have packed. Yep. And he can, he can talk about that in a second. Make <laughs> sure, guys, you have a sleeping pad. And some guys are like, oh, what's a sleeping pad? Well, let me tell Life you. And Andrew, <laughs> yes. It is a thin, insulated little foam mattress. So they come in different ones. Some are foam. Some are like air mattresses you blow up that are just real compact that gets you off the ground and gives you a little bit more um, insulation in your what they call the R factor, your uh, residual, um, I think it's the, your, I guess your residual uh, insulation, okay? And... Andrew did not bring a sleeping pad, unfortunately. I did, though, being prepared. Well, to get him off the ground, we literally had to cut pine branches and literally put it underneath his side of the tent to get him off the ground because everything was kind of muddy, wet. Well, we get everything situated, start glassing. Well, the second the sun starts going down, dipping down under the, uh, the horizon or the, I guess the next mountain chain, literally everything like instantly almost froze. I mean, this mud of ground literally turned to like rock hard just frozen yep. mud like instantly like it was unbelievable i've never seen something like that in my entire life but when we were it, glassing we saw a whole bunch of deer and like six moose so that was cool a little weird yes, yeah that, we were like okay cool this is awesome back here very much so so yeah we got up on this big knob and it was glassing and the moose we saw were like god dude that was so far out there that was like three ridges over i think oh man i mean so, it was a long way and i'd they were so far out, and I, you know, we hadn't got used to the distances or anything. And I saw them in the binos, and I put the spotter on them. And even with the spotter, I, they were way out there. And I just assumed, like my mind was on deer. I was like, "Oh, there's six deer crossing right there." And so we watch them for a second, and uh, dude, and then you know, I don't know, thirty minutes later, I'm, I'm watching that same spot, and then I see two actual deer walk across, and they were just like little little specks. I was like. What what did I just see walk across there? And finally, it dawned on me it was a bunch of moose, but that was pretty yeah. cool. And that's another thing, guys. I mean, coming from the south, you're not used to seeing distances like this, like at all. Like even if guys, if you've hunted power lines and this kind of crap, you have not seen distances until you go out somewhere that's wide open country, like Wyoming, Montana, uh, parts of Colorado, stuff like that. You think something's you know, relatively close by, it is so much stupid. It's so much farther than you can ever imagine. I mean, it's unreal. Um, and that's kind of the issue was with these ridges. You know, we're like, oh, man, that, that doesn't look too far. And then you find a deer on it, and you're like, you can't see the deer's naked eye. you got to pull up the, the spotting scope to, to find the deer on, like, 60 power. I mean, it was unreal. Um, so that, that was an issue. Well, we get back to camp, guys. <laughs> Sun's still kind of going down. We're like, okay, let's make a fire because we were cold. I mean, it got cold in a freaking heartbeat wearing all of our gear and everything and you know we pretty much packed our normal whitetail hunting you know clothing and we make a fire and it's blowing so hard guys the wind's blowing so hard we had to make you know do a little uh ring of rocks the wind was blowing so hard that we were almost sitting legit no light in the fire <laughs> to try to feel the warmth like i'm serious and you could not you 
bare hands could not feel any warmth from the fire at all. I mean, the fire was a good sized fire, man, like two feet across, maybe. Yeah, you could not, you could not feel the fire at all. You could not feel. We're like it. melting I mean, it was, snow, trying to get some more drinking water, and then you know it's whipping around so much. The wind is that by the time the snow was melted, we just had like this ash soup, but we still drank it, and we're like, oh, that's good, good hot water. No, th- <laughs> no that was disgusting. I was, I was so dehydrated by the time we got up there, and that was another issue, guys. We should have dropped back down to almost find water, get closer to water, because we didn't run out of water while we were up there, but we were extremely low, okay? Um, so that w- that was another issue that we did not do. Again, you know, stay low enough elevation where we could get water, because you're like, oh, yeah, you can melt snow. Well, when the air temperature is like, I don't even know what, I don't even want to guess what the air temperature was after the sun dropped, but it took so long to melt, like, a little pot of snow. I mean, dude, it, what it took is like 30, probably 45 minutes an hour. I don't know if it took that long, but it did take a really long time. Oh, it dude, it took forever. And then all the ashes got in. It was just absolutely miserable. And we decided by that time I had a throbbing migraine, which come to find out, I'm pretty sure I talked to a couple other individuals. They think that it might have been just a little altitude sickness from going from such low sea level a couple of days ago in such a short time frame to go so high up. It dude, it actually wore yeah, me out. Me just, too. Dude, it, I was messed I up. Would, I felt sick. Like... Slightly nauseous, but this pounding migraine. I mean, I took, I had ibuprofen with us and aspirin, took both. Nothing helped. Drank water, nothing helped. And I was not in the mood to eat at all. So I went to bed just like not eating nothing, couldn't eat anything. And, uh, anyways, we permit, we go to sleep or attempt to go to sleep, should we say, when it got dark. And the wind was blowing so hard, guys. So I have a, I have a pretty solid tent, pretty good tent. It's got uh, eight or nine tie downs. I mean, it's meant for like high winds, you know, just some nasty weather. We get in there, and it is literally vibrating. This thing is blow- it's blowing so hard that the sound it literally was like. <laughs> I mean, this that's that's exactly what it sounded like. I mean, it was insane. The tent is just flapping all over the freaking place, and I'm like, you know, sitting there, I'm like, dude, it is so loud, like absolutely so loud that you know this is gonna suck trying to go to sleep. And another big shout out, our sleeping bags are freaking awesome. At least mine was. I mean, yours was similar. If you had a sleeping pad, you probably would have been better. But yeah. I was warm. Like, I wasn't wasn't worried about getting cold or anything in my bag. Well, we're just laying there, and Andrew's like, dude, I'm freezing right now. And I, Andrew, you kind of talk about that aspect of, you know, once we laid in the tent and what you thought instantly. I was like, I hate myself. You're an idiot. Why did you come up here? I was cold, man. I was freezing to death. And there was times where I was kind of, I would like get warmed up, I would do something and warm myself up, and then I would get cold again, but for some reason, man, I just could not fall asleep. Like, at a, like I don't know if I slept for five minutes that whole night. I mean, that's one of the only nights in my entire life that I can say that, like, I didn't sleep a wink. And, uh, you know, that wind was blowing so hard, and it was almost, after a while, when you got used to it, it was like, okay, and then the wind... You were asleep at some times, but like I said, I was awake all night. There, there'd be times where the wind just like died, and it was like yes, real was... quiet. And I was like, okay, no, 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 come back. I don't like this. I don't like how quiet yes. it is. <laughs> that was freaky. No, I, I, I was awake. It actually woke me up because I fell asleep with the noise. Because to be honest, I like a little bit of noise when I sleep. And when it got quiet, dude, that was so freaky, like hands down. Because it was blowing it hard. And all of a sudden, it just got quiet. Tent wasn't moving. Nothing was moving at all. No noise. Dude, that was like... Right now, just thinking chills went down my spine, dude. Just how eerily quiet it got all of a sudden. And then, I don't know how much longer it was. I mean, I literally... I mean, I slept... Nothing, guys. I, we slept with our rifles in the tent. 
I slept with my pistol on my chest in the holster. Like, I slept in my holster uh, just in case. And Andrew slept with bear spray next to him. And, you know, we were thinking, you know, if a bear comes in the tent, dude, all re- I mean, you're not spraying bear spray inside a tent because no. you're just going to impale yourself. So it's pretty much going to be pistol and maybe if you can get to a rifle, which I doubt that's going to happen. So that's kind of the situation with that. So it got quiet, dude, and your mind just starts to race, and you're just thinking, like, oh, man, what the heck is out there? And, like, you hear something, and, like, the wind's just blowing real softly, and, like, you hear something that sounds like it's rubbing up against the tent, and all it is is part of the fabric, man. And it just kind of freak you out, I mean, yeah. in all honesty. Yeah, man, I got to say, it, like, the one of the most, like, surreal – like moments of my whole life was was like that. Okay, so it got real quiet, and I it was the middle of the night. It was like two or three in the morning. I had to pee, and so I like I unzipped the tent and I got my headlamp on my head, and that was one of the times where the wind had just died down, and so I like slowly like lean my head up and like poke my head up out of the tent, and I'm just like, oh my god, what am I about to see? And I click on the headlamp and I like look around real quick and it's just like empty and there's like nothing there and the wind's not blowing and it's just quiet and I'm looking around and you know my light's shining you know 50 yards or whatever and then and then the wind like kicks back up and like the trees start moving and I was like oh man that that's freaky <laughs> yeah yeah let's see yeah I, I would have freaking held that I would not be getting out of that tent uh-uh, I'm good dude but that, that was one of the things like you know well I'll say the craziest moment that night. I guess you can attest this because you were awake. I'm laying there, and it, it was after that first time it got quiet that a huge gust of wind came, and literally, it picked us up, dude. I could not feel the ground, like, legit. The gust of wind hit us, and I don't know if you remember that. I'm sure you did because of the whole situation. It literally felt like it picked the tent up and put us back down, and all it was holding us down was our stakes, dude. And that's when the tent actually came loose on my side and started hitting me in the face. I was wondering what the heck happened, dude. And that's when I legit get scared. Was because I'm like, dude, if this tent comes unstaked, uh, and we're caught in this tent, and it's blowing like this, we're going down that freaking hill, dude. And it was this nasty freaking blowdowns and crap. Like, dude, that would have been bad. Um, so that that was a situation that got kind of sketchy. And to me, after a while, dude, I'm not gonna lie. After a while, I got so mentally drained. I'm like, screw it. If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. But I'm going to sleep right now. Like, I don't care. <laughs> Like, I, I literally got to that point, dude. I, I literally rolled over. I'm like, if I'm going to die, it is my time. God, take me. I'm going the heck to sleep. Like, I ain't playing. And literally, that's what got, I mean, that's what happened to me after a while. I was just like, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm literally going to sleep. I don't care what happens. Yeah. Um, and that's probably when I legit went to sleep. And that was probably like at 2 or 3 a.m. Uh, but other than that, man, it was absolutely brutal. Um, and I guess you can kind of talk about a little bit like, you know, waking up that morning and kind of like what you saw below the tent. Yeah, so that that morning was pretty nice. When you, I woke up and I climbed out of the tent. I was the first one awake. And where we're camping, there's like these little rock outcroppings next to us. So I was going to go over there and start glassing. And I I get out of the tent and I stand up and I stretch and I look down. And just below our camp, there's a big doe group down there. And I can't remember. There might have been a buck with them. I think that the... I spooked them when I got out of the tent, and they they started running, and one of them kind of looked like a buck, but I never got a good look. But I was like, okay, cool, we're already seeing deer again. So then you get up, and we walk over to the little rock outcropping, and we set up and start glassing again. And I mean, right off the bat, we're seeing deer. And before, I mean, within 45 minutes, we've seen, like, I think 16 deer. I mean, they're just Mm -hmm. coming out everywhere, you know, coming out of the timber. And a lot of them are actually really close to our our campsite. So we're like, okay, cool. And our game plan, you know, this campsite was just a stopping point uh, or like a rest point because we were planning on going even deeper into the backcountry to get into, 
you know, kind of the middle of this big area where we could glass these big hillsides and these big burns and these creek bottoms. And really, there would have been some great hunting in there. But we're sitting up here glassing, and we're, we can see some of these first creek bottoms ahead of us. And we assumed there'd be water in them, you know, just for map scouting. You know, they're, they're shown as creeks on the map, and they're named creeks. And But we can see the first one, and there's just absolutely zero water in it. And so then, then we're kind of our... We're trying to figure out what we should do. What's the smartest thing to do? Because like we said, this isn't designated wilderness, but it's still the back country. We're way back in there, and it'd be very hard to get help if we got in trouble. So there's no there's no water around, so we really had no choice but to pack back out. So we you know took a good look at the area. We glassed for you know half the day, uh, saw a lot of deer, didn't pick up any bucks, but we. Uh, we go back to camp, tear down, and we, may, we make the decision to go back down to the truck and uh, go to our backup spot, which was a hard decision, but it was the right decision. We really didn't have another option, to be completely honest. Well, and to kind of jump into that, another thing is I was legit. Like, sick. I'm a pretty mentally well, I, 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 yeah. men- mentally tough guy, but legit, I was legit broken by that second, that, that second morning, dude. I'm not going to lie. Just mentally and physically, like, dude, walking around, even without a backpack, my legs were so on fire and just tight and just dehydrated, and I had a crazy migraine. I was hungry but did not want to eat because I felt like I'd throw up. I'm like, dude, I am absolutely, like, finished. Like, if we go down that next ridge, I'm not coming back up, dude. Like, it's it's not happening. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty much a decision. We're like, dude, let's pack back out. We've been seeing does, haven't really been seeing bucks. Let's go to a backup spot that we've kind of looked at a little bit on the maps uh, and just kind of work with that. And a huge shout-out to freaking Mountain House because we went back to the camp and had two Mountain House, uh, what was it, chicken and rice? Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. It was so good. Like, I'm not going to I'd eat one right now, dude. Uh, I ate one the other day when I was canoeing. Yeah. For for anyone that doesn't know, Mountain House is a freeze-dried, pre-packed meal that all you do is add boiling water to, let it sit for a little bit, and it, it's it's actually, you know, they say it's not like the most nutritional thing, but dude, it is pretty freaking good. Some it's a of those things booster, are, man. It is yeah, hot food, man, on the mountain, and we had my little camp stove, and we cooked that in the tents, and we had that, dude, and it helped out a lot, uh, for sure. But we packed all of our gear up, started hacking back off the mountain, dude, and thankfully, majority of it was downhill. We had to go up, you know, one or two little, uh, you know, rises, but it wasn't that bad. But the farther down the elevation we went, the better I started feeling. Especially when we started getting down to the creeks and everything, I started feeling a lot better. Yeah, feeling up. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember we were coming down, and instead of you know going down the, the little bald ridge, we were like, let's just go down the trail, and we'll just make some noise and be loud this time since we're not really hunting. Oh, uh, and so that was hilarious. Dude, we we round this corner, and this this trail like kind of cuts to the left, but right in front of it, where it cuts off, there's a little hillside that drops down to a creek. And we got right to that little hillside, and we jumped a doe at, like, 30 yards. And, dude, we about jumped out of our skins. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was going to die. I'm not going to lie. I was, like, done. I mean, we, we legit drew on that doe, man. I pulled the bear spray out. You, I think you yeah, pulled the pistol. gun out. Yeah. Uh, pistol was drawn. Oh, I wasn't playing with that crap. No, We're not walking at all. on pins and needles. Um, but, no, another funny thing, guys. So, I'll say Andrew's not... Andrew does not cuss at all normally. He's not a very vulgar guy. Me, I get in my time frames. I will without even thinking a heartbeat. <laughs> when we were coming back out, guys, I'm not going to lie. We were so fed up with like this 
<laughs> the situation in bears. We were saying some stuff coming off coming off that mountain, you know. Instead of saying "Hey, bear," we were just yelling some things. I'm sure people hiking up the trail were like, "What the hell is wrong with those people?" <laughs> like, I'm like, "Get off the trail now!" Like, don't walk up that trail. So that's pretty much the situation. Like, we we were kind of going down the hill. I was like, quoting I was Jeremiah like, Johnson. Oh, that was hilarious. Yeah, Andrew. For anyone that doesn't know that movie, oh my god, that was so funny, and just. Oh, dude. I mean, it was, I'm not going to lie. Coming off the mountain, it was a little more fun. I was in that... Like, yeah, I don't, we had a blast. I, I, I couldn't care about anything at that moment. Like, if a grizzly came, whatever. Like, pills was getting drawn, whatever, dude. I was so fed up with it. You know, just because the way I felt. But, dude, you know, we get down to the bottom finally. After, you know, jumping that doe and getting the crap scared out of us. You know, finally get back to the truck and everything. And we kind of drew up our game plan. Uh, and I guess you can kind of talk a little bit about that. Because that was more in your aspect of where we are going to go next. Yeah, so we... We get back to the truck finally, and uh, we decide to just go back into town. And uh, I, I can't remember what we did that night. No, we. I guess nope. I guess we didn't get a hotel that night. Um, nope. Yeah. No. No, no. no. So yeah, we we get back to the truck and we go back into town. Uh, I think we. I don't even think we grabbed food. We just went straight to this other unit to this backup yep. spot, and we mm-hmm. spent pretty much the whole day. Uh, driving around to these different spots, just trying to find a good place to access where that wasn't wilderness. Because as a non-resident in Wyoming, you cannot hunt wilderness without a guide or a resident with you. Um, so we were just kind of limited in this unit that we went to because the the wilderness area came up to within a hundred yards of the road in some spots, which is weird. But uh, it was it was really hard to find an area where we could you know kind of spread our wings a little bit and get out there and really hunt and several of these trailheads that looked really promising had a bunch of trucks at them and there was just guys on horseback everywhere but that was a fun drive because we uh we ended up seeing a few elk first elk we'd ever seen or that i'd ever seen we saw a couple moose at like 30 yards we saw some bighorn sheep saw a bunch of deer that's when the morale yeah really really got high because we got we got down off the mountain and basically went like around this big lake to go to where we were going and we get over to the other side of this lake and there's a bunch of alfalfa fields and there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deer i mean they were everywhere and so there and some but some big bucks yeah, as well i mean yeah. i saw one that was sta- standing out behind a house i'm like dude i put the tag on that i mean 160 inch deer all day just a four by four big split g2s and i'm like that right there let me knock on a door and get permission to shoot that deer. Like, that's all I want. Like, but I mean, he was around literally some of these houses that have, you know, probably 20 acres of this pasture just out there feeding. I'm like, dude, it was insane. The deer numbers we saw down there. And yeah, like you said, it was a huge morale booster because we're like, man, if they're already down these lowlands where we're going to go, you know, we'll hopefully be able to catch those deer slipping down. And that's kind of like what really worked out for us. Yeah. And what it was, was we talked earlier about the, the big snow that got the week before we got there. Where, you know, in the town that we were in, they got, you know, a couple inches of snow. But up on the mountain, two or 3,000 feet above town, they got about two and a half feet of snow. I think it, uh, when you look at the Snowtail, which is like a website that'll show you snow depths around these mountain ranges and all throughout the west. Really good tool to use when you're going out there. But it was registering like 27 inches of snow on one of the peaks next to us. So that deep snow pushes these deer out of their... You know, I guess it's their summer ranges way up in the high country. They get two feet of snow, they start moving down the valleys. And so that migration had already started a little bit early when we were there. So there was already tons and tons and tons of deer all throughout 
um, these bottoms and these pastures and on these alfalfa fields. So that's a big confidence booster. We drive around for a few hours, go down a couple of really crappy roads, can't really seem to, to find a spot, and we're it's starting to get a little dark. Uh, you know, the sun's starting to go down, and we're kind of panicking because we don't really have a plan for the next few days. So then we stop at this big overlook that looks over this massive, just humongous creek bottom. And, uh, there's, river bottom. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a river bottom, I guess, but... So the there's a huge, massive drainage that comes down into it, and there's public land in through, throughout this drainage. And we had just seen all these deer, you know, in the same creek drainage just a little farther down. So we were thinking, well, I bet there's some hanging out in these trees, which we were right about, you know, in this creek drainage. So we're watching it, and I, I noticed one small alfalfa field next to this house, you know, way up the valley, uh, right next to where the National Forest land started. So it's like right up against the bottom of the hill in, in the creek bottom. And basically 100 yards up the hill, the public land boundary started. So I turn and look at that with the spotter, and boom, right off the bat, I see a really, really big buck standing in that field. All right, guys. Hate to do this to you, but we're going to stretch this one out over two episodes. This recording ran very, very long, so uh, check back next Monday for the second half. The The first half of this episode really had a lot to do with gear and uh, how we got out there and just kind of logistical stuff. The second half is really uh, the meat of the hunt, and that was a pun. <laughs> this is the meat of the hunt, man. This is where we get out. We really start getting into deer. We talked to some locals, got some valuable lessons from them that we'll share to you. And, uh, yeah, we, we had a pretty crazy last day of the hunt that, that we just pick apart in this. And uh, it was a really fun time, and I think y'all will enjoy listening to it. We sure enjoy talking about it. And uh, then after that, uh, the Monday after next, we will start the series for making your dream hunt happen. That's what we're going to call it. So we're, we're going to cover... Mule deer, whitetail, elk, and antelope. We're going to have guests on for each of those who have experience with it. Uh, you know, generally people east of the Mississippi River, so you're looking at it from a Easterner's perspective. We, we might have one person on, not from the East, but th- this for a special reason. You'll see why if he's on. But uh, I think y'all like it, man. Hopefully this pushes some of y'all over who might be thinking about doing a Western hunt or making one of these quote-unquote dream hunts happen, but, you know, you just don't know where to start. Hopefully this pushes you over the edge and you can get out there and experience that landscape, experience those animals, and just make those memories that'll last a lifetime. I know that I'm glad that I took the leap and and just made the time and made the money for it when I could, and I'm really glad I did it. I definitely don't regret it, and I think about it almost every day, man, and I just can't wait to get back there, and hopefully I can get back there this fall, but I've rambled on long enough. Uh, Thank y'all for tuning in. Y'all rock. Uh, Please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Leave us a five-star review if you haven't already. That really, really helps us out a lot. And also, if you have any questions or anything that you want answered on the podcast or any questions for this upcoming series we're doing about uh, making your dream hunt out west happen, uh, send it to us on Facebook, Instagram, or email aloutdoors8 at gmail.com, and we will respond to that. And we will get that question answered on an upcoming episode, or we'll just respond to you directly, either one. So y'all make sure y'all give us some feedback. It really helps. And please just let us tune in to what y'all want to hear about. 
Thank you for the continued support, and we will see you next Monday. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.